Welcome to the CEC report for the 5th of January 2018, the first for the new year. Happy New Year to all of our viewers. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Elisa. And on today's show, experts bombshell to APRA inquiry. There is no deposit guarantee. And secondly, 2018, the year that everything bubble blows. So firstly, experts bombshell to APRA inquiry. There is no deposit guarantee. So we're going to be talking today about the financial claims scheme, which is supposed to guarantee all deposits in the bank up to $250,000, Craig. Um, but first of all, let's tell people why we're talking about this subject matter, because it relates to legislation tabled in August last year, which is known as the Financial Sector Legislation Amendment or the Crisis Resolution Powers Bill 2017. Yeah, Alicia, look, when we talk about APRA, we're talking about the regulator, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority. That's what APRA stands for. And it's being given the idea of this legislation is to give this regulator more power to bring in what we call bail-in laws. Now, bail-in laws basically would give APRA the power to take control of people's deposits. Now, people might be shocked about that and say, well, how is that possible? Well, people, I thought my deposits were going to be safe and secure. Well, just go back to 2013 and have a look at what was done in Cyprus, where people's deposits were seized above 100,000 euro. And this, this, was a, this was supposed to be the model for the world back then, but it caused an absolute furor. And it also, in a sense, shocked our organisation into action, and we began a massive mobilisation here in Australia. And we discovered back then, Elisa, that there was actually legislation in train here in Australia for bail-in laws. That is, that there was good legislation for the regulators to allow banks to steal people's deposits. And it was fiercely denied well, at that time by all the government agencies, but now in this legislation, it's provably there. And you know, we took out full-page ads in the Australian in 2014, I think it was, and we actually said, don't steal our deposits. Now, this has been fiercely de de denied by the government and by the regulators and so forth. But lo and behold, mm. late last year, the government sneakily brought in this legislation which, yeah. and we began mobilising on it because inside this legislation, which is very obscure but also very powerful, I mean, it's over 500 pages of amendments to all the different types of financial laws, mm -hmm. is the power to bring in bail-in. Now, they're still trying to deny it, mm. but we found more and more people, more and more experts that have come out and said, look, APRA should not be given this power they're an untrustworthy organisation. In fact, they're a criminal organisation from what they've done. They've caused the problem in the first place. Therefore, they should not be given these powers. So we're now at the stage where we've mobilised our base, our support base, our political support base, and other groups. Then we've had hundreds upon hundreds of submissions put into the Senate inquiry on this particular legislation saying that this, this, the uh, APRA should not be given these particular powers. In fact, this entire bill mm. should be rejected. And instead of this bill, we should go with the actual solution, which is Glass-Steagall. Now, Glass-Steagall is the idea that you should separate out the legitimate necessary banking system, that is the necessary commercial banking system. We need a banking system for our economy. That is, you know, we've got to have loans, we've got to have deposits, we've got to have savings. That should be done by a banking system. But it needs to be separated out from what we have today, which are these huge, too-big-to-fail banks 
systemic, systemically important financial institutions that they're also called, which have become conglomerates of stockbroking houses, insurance companies, merchant banking, investment banking, and then normal banking. They become so big and they become so engorged in speculation, like things like derivatives, that they've become out of control. And that's what we saw with the global financial crisis, that this thing was out of control. Mm. Now, what we're saying is you break off the necessary banking side of things and you protect it, the commercial banking side of things, and all this other rubbish, you let it go. Yeah. You, you say, okay, well, you want to be involved in merchant and investment banking? Well, you can be involved in that, but don't expect the government to protect it. We'll protect deposits, like has always happened in our country but we're not going to protect your speculation and your gambling. You can go to hell. And if we did that, you wouldn't have to be going down this pathway to say, oh, well, we have to confiscate deposits of savers in order to keep these banks afloat. Because in our submission, the CEC submission, which is available on our website and on the uh, website of the Senate Economics Legislation Committee, because we did force this, our campaign, force this to go to a Senate committee to look at it before it went to the floor for a vote, um, and they've put up several submissions. There might be upwards of around 800 or more, according to estimates. Eventually, when um, they get the Yeah, they're not up there yet. But if you look at ours, what we make clear in our submission is that bail-in was devised by derivatives dealers at the time uh, when Lehman Brothers went down in order to figure out a way to stop banks going into bankruptcy because that would interrupt the chain of derivatives contracts and stop their nice, you know, multi-quadrillion dollar gambling scheme. So the purpose of the idea of bail-in was to allow this kind of speculation to continue, which caused the global financial crisis at the expense of customers. And of course, these banking technocrats who design this and who are pushing it through the Bank for International Settlements regard democratic accountability as an obstacle to this approach. And for example, the chairman of APRA, Wayne Byers, when he was the head of the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, he actually insisted at that time there must be no government or industry interference which compromises the operational independence of the supervisor. So this, this is actually a plan for a banker's dictatorship, top down at the time of an economic breakdown. Now, let's come back to the financial claim scheme because one of the other submissions that has already been posted on this website of the Senate Economics Legislation Committee is by Dr. Wilson Sy, and he's the he was the principal researcher for APRA uh, for some period of time. He's no longer there. Um, but he has said that, and, and I'll just quote his, the opening of his statement, actually. He says, as a matter of urgency, I need to ask, are you prepared to have your savings in bank deposits confiscated to save insolvent banks? What about the millions of voters you represent? How would they react if you allowed this to happen to them? The bill before the Senate gives the government and APRA new discretionary powers to confiscate bank deposits, as explained in my submission. This bill should be rejected. And then he goes on to make a, a crucial point. Uh, he says, there is a widespread misconception that bank deposits are currently guaranteed for at least up to $250,000. The financial claim scheme through which APRA administers the guarantee has not yet been activated, as the FCS website clearly states. And this is what is stated on that financial claims scheme website. It says, the FCS 
can only come into effect if it is activated by the Australian Government when an institution fails. Once activated, the FCS will be administered by the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority. And he goes on to say, that means that when a bank fi fails, becomes insolvent, the Australian Government or APRA then has the discretion to decide whether or not to activate the FCS. Hence, it should be emphasised that bank deposits are not protected or guaranteed at all. And Lisa, look, we've made this point many times on this show over the last several years when we first found out about this financial claim scheme. When you do the sums and you realise that 99% of deposits are actually technically covered by the financial claim scheme, as they say, the amounts of money involved are so huge that there's no way that the provisions of the financial claim scheme could possibly, the $20 billion provisions of this scheme could possibly cover it. Per bank, yeah. Per bank, because you're talking about $20 billion per bank. Just the Commonwealth Bank alone is $198 billion. Mm. There is no way that the financial claim scheme could cover it, the, 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 the insolvency of a bank. And the other problem they have is that they only assume <coughs> that one bank would get into trouble. Now, all the banks have the same business model. Mm. So we're not talking about a, a, a bank crisis here of one bank. Yeah, if one goes down, you're going to get a if chain reaction. If it's a small reaction. bank, what would happen is you would never hear about it. It'll be one bank, one bigger bank, gobbling up a small bank. You would never hear about mm. it because that would, that would lead to instability in the system, as they would say. You would never hear about it. However, if you're talking about a total collapse of the system, Nothing is going to survive this. This is, this is all smoke and mirrors. I've said this many, many times on this program. And Dr. Wilson Sy has come out and said the exact same thing as a qualified expert here inside, someone who know, knows this particular organisation because he's done the work. Mm, yep. So and he's worked with these people. So this, is a, this, is, this is what these politicians have to really now wake up and realise, yeah. is that they're supporting, if they support this legislation, they are, as he's suggesting, allowing banks to steal people's deposits. Mm -hmm. And that's our message to the Australian people. Yeah. This is what's on the table. Yeah. So people should actually be sure to call your politician because some, there's certain to be more politicians that actually still don't even know about this legislation. No. And after it goes through the process of this Senate committee, it will eventually come back to the, the parliament for a vote. So read our submission, read Dr. Wilson Sire's submission um, you can go to the web page of that Senate Economics Legislation Committee and do that and then make a call to your MP and just say, look, do you know about this? There's no way I will support you or be voting for you if you, you know, go along with this. Now, we'll stop for a moment, but we'll come back and we'll discuss uh, some of the global moves for bail-in at this point when the financial system is quite shaky. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the APRA legislation which amounts to bail-in laws that will enable deposits to be confiscated in order to keep banks afloat rather than what we should be doing which is reorganising the entire bankrupt system with Glass-Steagall banking regulation. Um, now there's been a big push actually and we'll in the last segment we'll talk about um, the financial crash and why the rush to get this through but one of the things that's been pointed out by a number of sources and notably by the Moody's Credit Rating Agency in November last year is that the Asia-Pacific region is actually lagging behind in implementing these bail-in laws and they need them to be global across the bulk of the Western financial system. 
Um, and of course, India is one of the places we put out a media release late last year, uh, given that they are fighting a remarkably parallel campaign to what we're fighting here in Australia, because they also had a bail-in law that came up in August and which was subsequently referred to a parliamentary committee. And their bill is called the Financial Resolution and Deposit Insurance Bill 2017. And if it's passed, it would establish a financial resolution corporation, the FRC, which would monitor financial institutions, much like APRA would here, and put them into resolution should they fail, you know, with the purpose of trying to actually keep them going, going which you know, protects the whole too-big-to-fail quality of these banks and perpetuates it. Um, but there's been a massive reaction to it. You've had a number of the opposition parties in the Indian parliament that have spoken out against it. You've had unions, including bank employees unions, that are really opposed to it, even threatening strikes and so forth, um, because the powers that would be provided under this kind of legislation uh, would enable the banks to be saved by the quote-unquote writing down of the liabilities of the banks through cancellation or conversion. And of course, liabilities include deposits. So it's exactly the same as here, and it shows that this is a global campaign, uh, which Australia is not doing on any sovereign basis. Well, Alicia, the G20 in Brisbane actually tried to adopt the idea, or did adopt the idea, of bail-in. Yeah, they put it through. It didn't actually get through in Brisbane, no, but the subsequent year in it Turkey. It did, yeah. So there was put up, and you know, various countries adopted the idea of bail-in. So this is at the highest level has been adopted as a policy. So the financial resolution powers and so forth that the banks want to bring in, which includes bail-in, is a top-down policy yeah. through the international banking networks, mm -hmm. international financial networks. So this is where this is coming. It's coming top-down, not from the necessity, from countries needing these, these, this, this sort of a policy, because sovereign countries don't. Sovereign countries can have their own national banking policies, sovereign credit, which is what we pr pr propose, and through that, through their own sovereign credit and national banking, you don't need this sort of thing. Mm. Right? Glass-Steagall would fit nicely into this. So there's a whole raft of policies that we support, mm. which are on our website, that are on the alternative to this uh, thievery run by the banks mm. top-down. But we have to alert the population to this. Definitely. That's the key, and that's what's working in India, because they had, for example, a change.org pet petition to stop the bill that's got nearly 140,000 signatures um, it's quite probably a bit more in the media than what it is here over there. Yeah. And the reports that just came out this week indicate that the finance ministry um, has really been rocked by the opposition that they're copping on this. And they're now talking about plans to tweak uh, the controversial bail-in clause. So particularly that clause of the legislation in order to make it more palatable, you know, where they're saying things, for example, like um, if deposits are converted into bonds, then it will be guaranteed that we pay them back after a certain number of years, etc., etc. So it's all, you know, wishy-washy. But nonetheless, they are being forced to address it because of the compulsion coming from the population. Um, so that's why people should definitely give us a call and we'll send you an information pack of everything you need to understand what's going on. We'll send you a copy of our latest Australian Alert Service, our weekly publication, and um, get involved. Now we'll stop there quickly, but we're going to talk about the elements of the financial crash bearing down very rapidly right after this break. Welcome back to the CEC Report. 2018, the year that everything bubble blows. 
Now, I just want to start with a warning that came yesterday, Craig, uh, in the Australian Financial Review from a University of New South Wales economics professor, Richard Holder. And he said that uh, what we're seeing in the Australian housing bubble is exactly what happened in the United States in the lead up to the 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008 global financial crisis, as portrayed, he said, in The Big Short. And he said this. That's have, the movie. Uh, the movie, yeah. The Big Short, yeah, yeah, which viewers may have seen. If you haven't, make sure you watch it um, because we're coming up to that again. And this is what he says. Having lived in the US during the mortgage meltdown, I'm sorry to say that I've seen this movie before. The question is, why haven't our bankers? Well, the bankers have. That's the point. Exactly. They don't care. Well, that's why they're bringing bail-in in. Because, that's right. And it won't work anyway. No. However, they're desperately trying to maintain the current global financial system because it's not just about, it's about money, but it's more than money. It's about control. Yeah. Um, and this kind of a banker's dictatorship, uh, you know, you don't want to go down that pathway. Um, now, the thing, the difference today, though, to that, 2007-08 period is that you really only had the big housing bubble at that point and that was enough to rock the world. Today though many commentators are referring to the everything bubble and that would include um, and there's probably more but at least the housing bubble, the corporate debt bubble, auto um, which meaning you know cars and so forth particularly in America and student loan bubbles consumer debt bubbles in the UK, that's particularly bad, it's very bad here. Uh, the stock market, you've got the cryptocurrency bubble, and of course the big one which is the derivatives bubble. Um, and on the 14th of December in the Daily Telegraph, uh, their international business editor Ambrose Evans Pritchard warned that the everything bubble is about to burst. And he particularly made the comment that with the um, ending of quantitative easing and tightening of interest rates being led by the United States, that these bubbles will not survive the US tightening cycle of 2018. So this could be the year when it all goes. There were a number of warnings late last year, Craig. Um, Claudio Borio, who's the head of the Bank for International Settlements Monetary and Economic Department, had warned also of the consequences of the Fed raising rates when he said conditions are reminiscent of the period prior to the 2008 GFC. You had a high profile fund manager in the UK, Neil Woodford. He said there are so many lights flashing red that I am losing count. And when this bubble bursts, he said, it could be even bigger and more dangerous than some of the worst crashes in history. Now, on the other hand, talking about you know flashing red signs, uh, Janet Yellen, the head of the US Federal Reserve, said in a December 13th press conference, she said, I think when we look at other indicators of financial stability risks, there's nothing flashing red there or possibly even orange. We have a much more resilient, stronger banking system and we're not seeing some worrisome build-up in leverage or credit growth at excessive levels. She, so she who's in charge of the quantitative easing program of the Federal Reserve. Mm. This is the organisation has been pumping trillions of dollars yeah. into the various bubbles. To keep them going, to yeah. To keep them going. Like, for example, the corporate debt bubble, which has been lending money to you know, corporations, and or particularly through banks, which is then on lending to corporations, which then buy back their own shares mm -hmm. in the stock market, which is seeing yeah. the stock market go up through the roof, or lending, uh, you know, issuing uh, debt uh, bond, bonds and so forth, uh, creating the corporate debt bubble. 
and yeah. so forth. And what what really is a, a concern here, Elisa, is some people, you know, ordinary folk that might be watching this program saying, well, I don't really have anything to be concerned about this because, mm. you know, I don't have any money, I'm, I'm broke. Well, well, hang on a sec. If you've got superannuation, even a small amount, you're at risk mm -hmm. because superannuation funds are tied into this all the way through. Mm -hmm. As I said before, Glass-Steagall's concerned about the commercial banking system separating out the normal banking system, which is not involved in any of these sorts of bubbles. It simply looks after your money. Mm -hmm. But everything, all of these other bubbles is where the investment in the merchant banking system is involved in. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, the two are together. Yeah. So no, how no matter how we want to look at it, every single person in this country and around the world is involved in this everything bubble. Mm. And look at the consequences, 2007-08. I mean, everyone was affected in one way or the another, but they held it just from the precipice. If, if the whole global system goes this time, which is much bigger, it's going to fall much harder... Um, the entire economy, which is at an even greater breakdown point in terms of physical production, is going to have big consequences when everything financially grinds to a halt. Yeah. And the thing about Janet Yellen making this comment is that the organisation that provides all of the data to the Fed is called the Office of Financial Research. And in their report for the end of 2017, they literally said that market risk is in the red zone. Debt to assets and debt to earnings ratios are red on the monitor heat map. US government debt as a percent of gross domestic product is at its highest level in decades and so on. So she's saying one thing, the advice she's getting is another. Well, when, she's, when, when, when someone like Janet Yellen is so obviously lying, mm. you know we're in trouble. Yeah, they're covering up. And yet they're also playing a juggling game too because they know and they're moving, when they put interest rates up, they do it at the bare minimum and do it gradually. But at the same time, this um, tax cut that Trump's just passed, mm -hmm. a 40% corporate tax rate cut, this is an attempt to kind of um, keep it going, keep the bubble going from another level. So on the one side you're cutting, on the other side you're boosting, try to keep that juggling act because they know it could burst the bubble. Uh, and according to Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, he said that these tax cuts amounts to QE4, so another quantitative easing program. And he even said that much of it will go into paying dividends and share buybacks, which, as you said, has created this enormous corporate debt bubble in the first place for you know, these companies to show greater profits. But that profit is not actually being generated from increased economic growth. So it's an extension of the bubble. You've had the Global share prices last year surged by $9 trillion. Look at the growth in Bitcoin last year, 1,700% increase in the price of a Bitcoin. Most people don't even know what Bitcoin is. <laughs> well, I know, but even for those that will defend it, yeah. where did that increase in, in, real, in value come from? Is it real value? Does it reflect some economic growth, not. something we've developed to the economy? Because if it didn't, well, it's speculation and That's it's a right. part of the problem. Yep. So we need to change and we need to actually have a focus with national banking into developing our well, real economy. Well, the question has to be the focus, is the real economy? What are we actually built? All of this is speculation. It's built upon making money from money where money has no intrinsic value. And Elisa, I think a lot of this stuff comes as a surprise to people and people really need to get the Australian Alert Service. Mm. We write about this stuff in depth so people can not just listen to it you know, over the television but actually read about it and get the material in depth for themselves and get involved in the campaign to change it so give us a call get involved this year's the year to do it thanks for tuning in thanks craig yeah thanks lisa and join us again next week mm -hmm.